Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids. A show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Hey, everybody. Pretty funky music, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Right now, I'm dancing in case you want to know. I'm Dinosaur George. Welcome to my podcast. I hope everybody is doing well. Those of you that are here in the United States that celebrate Thanksgiving, that's just right around the corner. It'd be a lot of fun. I know every Thanksgiving I eat way too much, more than I should, so maybe this Thanksgiving I'll behave myself a little better and make sure not to eat every single thing that is placed in front of me. How nice to see you all. All right, before I get into all the cool stuff, we absolutely need need to talk about this because this is coming up in just two days. Now, if you're listening to this podcast later on, Well, obviously, this isn't going to work for you because on November 24th, the year 2021, that's right now, on November 24th at 5 p.m. Central Time, I'm in San Antonio, Texas, so if you don't live in Texas or you don't live in the Central Time Zone, you're going to have to ask your parents to help you figure out what time 5 p.m. is in your time zone. At 5 p.m. on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page, I am going to live stream a lesson called What is a Dinosaur? It's very basic. It will help you understand what is and what is not a dinosaur. Now, this is for any age group that you want, any age. But it's certainly very helpful for younger students, uh, younger kids, because it will answer some of the questions that you might have. And it's a great show for a great lesson for parents or grandparents or uncles who maybe have somebody in the family that loves dinosaurs. And you'd like to learn a little more basic information about them. So this is not going to be really intense detail. It's going to be more of a generic overview. Now, in order to watch it. You need to be a a part of the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. And it's free to join. There's no cost whatsoever in it. But that's where it's going to be. I'm not going to broadcast it anywhere else other than there. And so uh, that I hope you can join. Again, this is November 24th, the year 2021, on Wednesday the 24th at 5 p.m. Central Time Zone. So if you'd like to come in and join, you can. You can watch. You can learn. You can also submit questions during the lesson, and it should be a lot of fun. But I wanted to cover that first. Now, some more cool information. We now have had almost 180,000 downloads of this podcast. 
So that is a lot of people listening, and I am honored and thrilled that so many of you listen. And now, something that shocked me this morning, this absolutely surprised me. We now have listeners in 117 countries across the world. 117 countries. So for those of you in all of these countries, for those of you all around the world, for those of you that listen to my podcast, from the absolute bottom of my heart, thank you. It's a very good feeling to know that you like these podcasts and that you you listen to them. So thank you very much. And you know, one of the ways it grows is through social media, your parents mentioning it to other parents, uh, you mentioning it to your classmates, you mentioning it to your coworkers, to your friends. So it helps a bunch. So I really appreciate all of you who help kind of spread the word and gain new listeners. A couple of shout outs before we get started. First of all, I wanted to give a shout out to one of my Patreon club members, Brachioeva. Brachioeva, who is 12 years old, was nice enough to use her own money to get a membership in the Patreon club. And not only that, but ask that I give a shout out to... Elena and to Regale No Tops. Regale No Tops. Hey, that's a great name. Regale No Tops. So shout out to all of you. And Brachioeva, thank you so much for being a member. I appreciate you very, very much. Also, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Bruno, who lives in California, who is going to listen to, of course, this podcast but is also going to join me for my live lesson in two days. And then Reagan and Theo, I wanted to give a shout out to you two as well. I know you guys are excited for the lesson and I can't wait to see you on Wednesday. And lastly, and certainly not leastly, I don't even know if that's a word. It goes out to my friend, Tammy D. Tammy has gone through a lot of things In her life, and she was very strong in making a decision to do what's right for her. Tammy, I cannot tell you how proud I am that you made the decision to to make yourself happy and to come home back to the U.S. because we missed you. So do your friends and so do your families. So that's all the shout outs. Now, we're going to go right into the creature feature, and this one is Amazing. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. The feature creature for this episode is one of my favorite dinosaurs, Sorophaganax. What a cool name, Sorophaganax. What does that name mean? Lord of Lizard Eaters. How crazy is that? Now, when they named it Lord of Lizard Eaters, they didn't mean it's chasing around lizards. Remember, paleontologists at one time 
thought dinosaurs were giant lizards. So the name Lord of Lizards Eater is probably better to say Lord of Dinosaur Eaters. But whatever the case is, it's a crazy cool name. Saurophaganax is a massively big carnivore, a theropod, walks on two legs. Now, the estimate of size, and I say estimate because not a lot of bones of this dinosaur exist. An estimate of size suggests that this dinosaur may have been up to 13 meters long. That's nearly 43 feet. Listen, man, that's a big dinosaur. That's a big carnivore. For those of you that want a project, because a lot of you love to do the projects that I give you, here is your project. I want you to try to figure out a way to measure 43 feet. Now, you might have to get mom or dad or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or a brother or a sister or a grandmother or aunt or uncle and ask them if they can find a tape measure and measure 43 feet. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand 43 feet away from somebody who has a camera and ask them to take a picture of you and then put it on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Don't do a close-up because I want to see how far away you are from the camera because here's what we're going to do. We're going to pretend that you are a Saurophaganax and I'm going to pretend that I'm the plant eater. And I want to see just how close you are. And that will show me how long your body length is. So take a picture of something. It can be you or it can be a toy 43 feet away. So you can demonstrate how long this dinosaur is. Maybe you take a picture of a school bus and you measure it. Or maybe you just take a tape measure and stretch it across down the street. Maybe you get a couple of friends to line up to show how long it is. But I want you to see how long 43 feet is. And I want you to put that picture on my uh, Dinosaur George Kids uh, Facebook group. Or you can also draw a picture of Saurophaganax. Or if you have a toy Saurophaganax, I would love to see it. Now, I just told you that this dinosaur is nearly 43 feet long. How much did it weigh? Estimates range between three to five tons. A really big bull African elephant, I think, weighs about four and a half tons. So this is a big brute. It's been located in places in New Mexico and Oklahoma, and it lived during the late Jurassic period about 151 million years ago. As I told you, it is a biped. That means it only walks on two legs, and it is, of course, a carnivore. How do we know it's a carnivore? Because when they dug it up, it was holding a hamburger in its hands. And that. Okay, wait a minute. Wait one minute. That made no sense whatsoever. It was not holding a hamburger in its hands. I'm sorry. It's because of its teeth and its claws. It was discovered in late 1931 and described in 1941. Excuse me, allergies are causing me to cough a little bit. Now, for those of you that have listened, you remember what I said about the difference between when a animal is discovered and when that animal, <coughs> excuse me, is described. And described means 
that a scientific paper is written and that's where they give it its name. So 10 years, 10 years from when it was found to when it was described. And that happens a lot because remember, sometimes the people that are digging up the dinosaur may be the same ones who are describing it. And you really only want to describe them during the winter months when it's too cold to go outside and dig. But also keep in mind, when it's winter in North America, it might be warm in another part of the world. So you go to China to dig or to Africa to dig or Australia. So it's hard for scientists to find the time to write the papers in a short amount of time. It can take years. In this particular case, it took a decade. Now, this may be, and I think it is, the largest carnivore of the late Jurassic period. This dinosaur rivaled Tyrannosaurus rex in size. How many times have I said that I believe the largest carnivore, (coughs) excuse me, I should have brought a glass of water in the studio, (coughs) but I didn't. So you're going to have to hear me cough the whole time. That's great. The largest carnivore, I think, will come from the Jurassic because the majority of the herbivores were big. Those are the sauropods. There were still sauropods in the Cretaceous, but the majority of sauropods, I think, were living in the Jurassic. And it would make sense that the carnivores would be big enough to take advantage of that food source. You're not going to let something that big walk around and not be a target. So, Sauropheganax is estimated to be almost the same size as Tyrannosaurus rex. But the reason why nobody knows for sure is because so few bones have been found. That's why you never see a lot about Sauropheganax, because, you know, it causes scientists to have to guess about a lot of things. And guessing is not something most scientists want to do. They feel more comfortable having more information so you don't hear a lot about Sauropheganax because there's not much to say because they haven't found a lot of it yet. Now, there are some scientists who believe Sauropheganax is just a gigantic Allosaurus Maximus. Remember, all dinosaurs have a first and last name. So some scientists believe that Sauropheganax is not a new species They just think it's an adult Allosaurus. But most scientists disagree because there's enough differences in the bones of what they found compared to Allosaurus to say Sauropheganax is a legitimate species. It is a legitimate name. So for now, Sauropheganax is not a big Allosaurus, but Sauropheganax is a member of the Allosaurid family. It's a cousin. It looks a lot like an Allosaurus. uh, It's got horns over its eyes like an Allosaurus. It's got long arms like an Allosaurus. It's got a giant thumb claw like an Allosaurus. It's got three claws. It's definitely from the family. But right now, there's enough differences for scientists to say, this dinosaur is not Allosaurus. This is Sauropheganax a member of the Allosauridae family. Did you know Sauropheganax is the state fossil of Oklahoma? Did you know almost all states have a state fossil? If you live in a state that does not have a state dinosaur or a state fossil, maybe you can try to get one named. 
You can do some research about what's been found in your state. Maybe you can get your school to write a letter to the governor, or maybe you can email the governor and say, hey, we don't have a state fossil or we don't have a state dinosaur. And here's the one I think we should have. And here's why. You don't have to be a grown up to make changes in this world. Some young person can easily be the one that maybe gets it done. Now, I don't know about does every state have a state fossil? I don't know if they do or not. Or if every state has a state dinosaur, maybe they all do. Here in Texas, we do. But maybe where you live, there isn't one. Or maybe in your country, maybe your country doesn't have a state fossil or state dinosaur for your city or community. So that's something you should look into because wouldn't that be amazing if you discovered there was no state fossil or or country fossil (coughs) and you were the one? that made it happen, you'd carry that with the rest of your life. Now, Sorafaganax is very rare, and there might be two reasons for that. Well, maybe there could be three reasons for that. Reason number one, it could be that it lived in an environment where it wasn't likely that it ever got buried. So, for instance, when you live in an area where there's a lot of flooding, that means it rains a lot. And that means plants grow a lot. And that means plant eaters come there a lot. And that means meat eaters come there a lot. And because they're in the areas that can be flooded a lot, you're more likely to be buried in mud when you die. Because the mud washes over you and buries you. And that's the best thing to become a fossil. So it could be it didn't live in that area or in areas where it flooded as much. So when it died, you don't find as many of them. That's number one. Number two, it is found in a Jurassic formation. Jurassic formation is a layer of dirt. Jurassic formations are not as easily available. There's not as many because it dates back so long ago. Erosion has to move a lot of dirt to uncover a Jurassic formation. So it could be because there's not a lot of places to look. There's not a lot of them found. But here's the third. And and that's why, by the way, we do find uh, like some Cretaceous dinosaurs are easier to find in North America because there's more Cretaceous formations available. It's not that more dinosaurs lived in the Cretaceous. Maybe it's just that. You, can, you have a better chance of finding them if the layer of dirt that has their bones is somewhere where we can see it. Otherwise, we'd have to dig big, deep holes. And even then, you, can't, you don't know if you're going to find a bone or not. But here's the reason why I believe it's rare. For the same reason that great white sharks are rare. The way the environment works is there is a balance of nature. When you are giant and you are a carnivore, there cannot be a lot of you because you could end up wiping out too many species of animals. You would be a very bad thing to the environment if you're able to kill absolutely everything. So when you go diving in the ocean, you might see 100 black tip reef sharks. You might see 300 gray reef sharks. You might see 50 hammerheads. You might see Uh, 25 Makos, and you might see one Great White. Why? Because if there was too many Great Whites, 
they would kill and eat everything and all animals would go extinct around it because it upset the balance of nature. So the same with Saurophaganax, man. It's the same with T-Rex. T-Rex is a very rare dinosaur. If you and I could travel back to the Cretaceous period, we might see hundreds of horned dinosaurs. We might see hundreds of duckbills. We might see tens of thousands of duckbills and horned dinosaurs. And we might see hundreds of raptors. But we would be lucky if we saw one or two T-Rexes. Same with Saurophaganax. Because that's how the balance of nature occurs. These big animals, either they don't have many babies or growing up is super hard and a lot of them die before they reach adulthood. There's no way of knowing for certain, but I think it's because they were so rare. This dinosaur had competition, right? It lived with Allosaurus, Torvosaurus, and Ceratosaurus, but Saurophaganax towered over those. I guarantee you. That Allosaurus, Torvosaurus, or Ceratosaurus got out of the way when a Saurophaganax showed up. Saurophaganax probably stole food from everybody. It is a brute. It's huge, very thick, powerful skull, huge, thick neck. With That means that it could reach and grab you with its hands, lower its head and bite you, and then use its neck muscles to pull backwards and rip a chunk off of you. It's just an enormous animal. I just absolutely love Saurophaganax. There's another big meat eater from the Jurassic called Epantereus. But that one is a super mystery. There's a lot of people that don't believe Epantereus is anything other than a giant Allosaurus. There are some people that think that Epantereus might just be Saurophaganax. But Epantereus, there are very few pieces ever found of Epantereus. So it, I just mentioned it because that word, uh, every now and then I talk about Epantereus, but it could be Epantereus as the Saurophaganax. I don't know for sure. So what did this monster hunt? Sauropods, Stegosaurus, Camptosaurus, pretty much any plant eating dinosaur that lived with it. But of all the carnivores, I believe Saurophaganax is the one that is capable of taking on maybe even semi-adult sauropods. I don't know necessarily it's taking on Brachiosaurus. Maybe if it hunted with a mate or a couple, they could take on a Brachiosaurus. I told you it's a big dude. But I think this dinosaur is focusing more on the small and medium-sized members of the sauropod family. Like maybe not attacking Diplodocus, but definitely attacking a young Diplodocus or a teenage Diplodocus or a baby Diplodocus. It's going to attack Diplodocus, Brachiosaurus, Camarasaurus. All of those sauropods, in my opinion, are on the menu. And I told you about the balance of nature. Nature has to control the plant eaters because if there's too many plant eaters, they can destroy an environment by knocking down trees, by eating everything. Think about Brachiosaurus. You think Brachiosaurus, if it walks through a forest, is going to be careful to move around all the trees? No, it's just going to push them over. It's just going to knock them down. Well, that's going to kill the tree. So Brachiosaurus may not be good for the environment if there's too many of them. So animals like Saurophaganax keep down the members of the sauropod family by preying on them. And that's why it's giant. And that's what I think its job was. All right, 
Sora Faganax is remarkable. It's big. It's powerful. And as you know, I love Allosaurus. That's my favorite dinosaur. I super love Saurophaganax. As a matter of fact, I love this dinosaur so much. The skull of a Saurophaganax is right outside the door of this recording studio. <laughs> I have a skull of a Saurophaganax. It's almost as big as the skull of Tyrannosaurus Rex. Not, not quite, but almost. So, this thing was huge. And that, my friends, is today's feature creature. Now, uh, let me talk a little bit about the Patreon Club. Because... It's what helps me pay my bills. In order to do these podcasts, it helps me because it allows me the ability to not do some of my other work because I'm doing this. I can't, if I, if I could only do this for free, just whenever I could, I would rarely have time to do it because I run a business and I have a museum and a gift shop and online and, and a traveling museum. And so I have to be able to take time away from those things and to do that it helps me by being paid. And the way I get paid is through Patreon. If you would be interested in becoming a member of the Patreon Club, it's super cool. To be a member, it starts at a dollar a month. You can join for a dollar a month. And for that, you will get one lesson each month. This is a Zoom lesson where you get to sit down with all the other members and we all are on a Zoom lesson and it's a lot of fun. For $5 a month, you can become a Raptor Club member for $5 a month, you get a free Raptor Claw replica gift just for joining. You get an autographed picture for joining. And you get two lessons a month. Plus, you get some behind-the-scenes information. And you kind of get some of the info that the, other, that the public may not know yet. And finally, the Ultimate Club. That's the Tyrannosaurus Club. That's the Ultimate Club. That's $10 a month. And that's a lot of money. I know that's a lot of money. But for that, you get two lessons each month. You get all the behind-the-scenes information. My T-Rex members always know before anybody else what's happening, whether we have something new, uh, if there's a new arrival. So they always find out before everybody else. Also, you get a T-Rex tooth replica and a raptor claw replica as a welcoming gift. You get to submit who would win questions that if they're chosen, I read them on a podcast. And you also get to submit some Ask Dinosaur George questions. Now, let me say this too. Raptor Club members can also submit their Ask Dinosaur George questions. So there's a lot. You get a lot being a Raptor or T-Rex member. But even if you just want to spend a dollar a month and be a Triceratops member, hey, you still get, you still get to see a lesson once a month. And let me tell you this. If you hired me to do one lesson a month, it would cost $200. If you become a Patreon Club member at a Triceratops level, it costs you $1 a month. If you hired me to do two lessons, it would cost $400 every month. But by being a Raptor Club member or a T-Rex member, it, all, it only costs you either 5 or $10 a month. So it's pretty cool. So let me play you a little bit of information about the Patreon Club. If you go to my website, DinosaurGeorge.com, there's information there on how to sign up. And when we come back, we're going to do some Ask Dinosaur George questions. <laughs> Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. 
We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right. The questions right now for the Ask DG segment were all submitted by Raptor or T-Rex members from Patreon. So here we go. It says, hi, DG. Alex from England would like to know what the largest predator of the Jurassic period was. What timing, my friend? What great timing? Because you now know who it was. The Lord of Lizard Eaters, Soro Vaganax. Good question, Alex. Good timing. My buddy uh, Noah F. said, why were ceratosaurs so successful and diverse? Was there a single adaptation that was significantly the key? So what that means, Noah's wanting to know, look, ceratosaurus is a very successful dinosaur. It was around in the early Jurassic, I think early to mid, and then made or through the mid to the late, I believe. You know, ceratosaurus is a very archaic dinosaur. It's one of the few that still has four fingers. It's one of the few carnivores that still has four fingers. And that would suggest to me, Noah, that it sort of found the spot it wanted to be in the, in the um, ecosystem, and it didn't spread out to try other new jobs. What I mean by that, he stayed in his own lane. It didn't try to change to be something else. It's like a shark or a crocodile. Those animals look exactly like their ancestors in most cases. And why? Because that worked. They have the right body shape. They have the right body design. They, they can eat just about anything. I think Ceratosaurus shared all those details. Some people believe Ceratosaurus may have even been semi-aquatic. So maybe... Because it was able to eat fish and turtles and small crocodiles, but still hunt land for, for terrestrial dinosaurs. Maybe that's what gave them the edge. But I believe they were successful because they figured out how to fit within the ecosystem and they didn't try to adapt to become something else. Most animals, a lot of animals will become something else. So slowly ad adapt and change. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not. All right. Hi, DG. Braden wants to know what the biggest T-Rex ever documented was. Well, right now, I think it's still Sue. Sue is the biggest T-Rex. But I do believe that there have been more and more things coming out of the paleo community that are suggesting that there were, they may have found some bigger ones. I don't know what's come about from it. I hear so many things, but I, don't, I can't always follow up on absolutely everything. But I do think Sue, right now, I think Sue remains the biggest. But I think Samson might be one that they think might be bigger. I don't know if Y-Rex was bigger or not. I know Y-Rex was big. I don't know. But that's a great question, and I, I just I don't have the answer for it. But that's a really cool question, and it would be interesting to know. All right. Harrison wants to know, what was Microraptor's predators? 
Hey, listen, great point, Harrison. Just because you're a carnivore doesn't mean you don't have predators. Baby T-Rexes were hunted by other carnivores, maybe not just for food, but to get rid of them. Microraptor would have the exact same issue. Now, I don't know who exactly Microraptor's predators could be, but I think certainly some of the big Oviraptors would have probably killed it. Um, certainly other raptors, bigger raptors would have just, like I said, to get rid of the competition. That might be why Microraptor developed those four wings because it needs to escape into the trees to get away from predators that are hunting it. And it needs the ability to leap out of the tree and either glide or fly to the next tree. If a smaller raptor is coming up the tree after you. So I, I can't say for certain who they were, but I can tell you it absolutely had predators. They all do. Okay, Reedy Rex wants to know who is my favorite dinosaur. What a polite question, Reedy. Reedy Rex, my favorite is Allosaurus ever since I was a kid. And I kind of have, I kind of sort of have, let's say my top four. Allosaurus number one, probably Utah Raptor number two, Deinonychus number three. And now I got to say Gastonia. I just like little Gastonia. He just looks cool. That's probably my fourth favorite. What's your favorite, Reedy Rex? I'd be interested to know. Okay, Madalena Soros wants to know, what was the first mammal to live with dinosaurs? Now, you have me here, Madalena Soros, because I don't do a lot with the early mammals, so I cannot even begin to guess the name. But I do know from some of the images I've seen, it was a small rat-like looking little critter. I just can't remember the name off, my top, off the top of my head. But I believe it was a nocturnal little rodent looking animal is really the first mammal. And I say it's nocturnal because it probably had to be because that little furry guy wouldn't survive very well out during the day. I don't think I wish I knew the name, but I don't. But that's a great question. All right. Philip Raptor asked, did T-Rex like to fight with other dinosaurs? Well, Philip Raptor, I don't think any carnivores like to fight. And, And let me say, let me tell you why I say that. Um, when they're little and we see them playing and chasing each other in reality, that's not just playing that's to practice and hone their skills as a hunter. That's why kittens wrestle. That's why little kids jump around and wrestle and play. We are kind of honing our skills to jump and spin and turn and land. So even though you might see pictures of a baby carnivores that look like they like to fight with each other. That's mostly to practice the skills they'll need when they become an adult. So taking that forward into um, taking that forward into uh, uh, carnivores like T-Rex, did they like to fight? Probably not because fighting can lead to injury and injury can lead to death. If you're a dinosaur or any animal for that matter. So you don't want to fight because of the chance of getting hurt. You either have to fight because something's trying to challenge you or take your, uh, maybe trying to take your territory, maybe trying to attack your babies, uh, maybe trying to attack you. So T-Rexes would have fought with other T-Rexes. I don't think they liked it, but I think they did it out of necessity. Or you had to fight with the animal you're going to eat. So when you're hungry, and you want to eat a corn dog, but the corn dog wants to fight with you? Well, get out the mustard and start fighting, Mr. Corn Dog, because the winner is going to eat you for dinner. 
winner, winner, corn dog dinner. <laughs> All right, Luca Rex wants to know, have paleontologists ever found dinosaur poop? Is there fossilized dinosaur poop? Yes, there is, Luca Rex. And the people that hunt them are called um, um, poopologists. Okay, I totally made that name up. There is no poopologist. Paleontologists do study fossil dinosaur poop. It is called a coprolite. Dinosaur poop, really any fossilized poop is called coprolite. And scientists study coprolites because they help the scientists understand what it is that the animal ate. In some coprolites, you can see like seeds from plants or maybe even the leaves of plants. And in meat eater coprolites, sometimes you find bones. I'll tell you something I used to have, but I sold it and I regretted it. I used to have a prehistoric crocodile coprolite with deer teeth in it where it ate a prehistoric deer and the teeth ended up in the poo. So, yes, they do find dinosaur poop. Yes, it is called a coprolite. No, no one is titled poopologist. <laughs> all right, this is from Francisco. I love all ceratopsians. Why are their crests so different? <coughs> Excuse me. I apologize for that, Francisco. Brilliant question. I love ceratopsians too. The idea of the differences in frills could be one of two things, Francisco. It could either be that the frills were different so that other ceratopsians wouldn't confuse who's who. Like when you look over, like if you're in Africa today and you look, there's lots of different antelope with different kind of horns. That helps each antelope know which group is its family. If you just run up to the first animal you see that looks like an antelope, they may not like you and they may chase you away. But if you see your own family group, it helps you identify them. Maybe that's what the frill was for, is to help them identify which species they are. Because in the late Cretaceous, there might be seven or eight or nine or 10 or 50 different Ceratopsians all standing around. You want to find one from your family group, and that would help you do that. The other reason why they could be different is if they helped in some way for defense. Like, for instance, I think of Styracosaurus, obviously. Styracosaurus is dealing with Albertosaurus, who's obviously taller than it is. And those spikes apparently were a good deterrent to stop Albertosauruses from making them a meal. So maybe the differences would be because they, uh, uh, they were either used to uh, help identify, or they were used as a weapon. So Francisco also said, why was Sinoceratops's crest curved forward so much? Again, it's probably something that has to do with help with identification. All right, Edith wants to know, why do they call Allosaurus the land shark? Well, one of the nicknames I call it, Edith, I always call them the tigers of the, tri of the Jurassic. I always call them the tigers of the Jurassic. They're not tigers. And they're not land sharks. People just give them that name because they've got sharp teeth. They're very effective hunters. And there was a lot of them. <coughs> Again, excuse me for coughing, everyone. Um, so th that's just a nickname that they apply to it. It has nothing to do with sharks. It has nothing to do at all. It just means 
that a shark is a very effective predator. And on land, Allosaurus would be an effective predator. So they're calling it a land shark simply to identify it's an effective predator. Heathoraptor, what's the coolest fossil you've ever seen? Heathoraptor, I will absolutely say this. The coolest fossil I ever saw. I was in Canada with Dr. Phil Curry, and he was taking me on a tour of the university's uh, collections. And I got to see all kinds of dinosaurs being prepped. I saw Pachyrhinosaurus. I saw Styracosaurus. I saw, uh, um, who else did I see? Centrosaurus. But the coolest. He opens up this drawer and inside is almost a complete skeleton of a baby ceratopsian, a baby. I got to hold it. I got to touch it. I got to see it. That was one of the most amazing, coolest fossils I've ever seen. All right. Declan wants to know which raptor turned into a hummingbird. It's an interesting question, Declan. It wasn't necessarily a raptor because birds were, were evolving and changing from carnivores like raptors, obviously, but they, they diversified so much that by the time you get to a hummingbird, it would almost be impossible to know the entire family tree of how or who ended up becoming hummingbird because hummingbirds may have been hummingbirds may have come from five or six or seven or 800 other kinds of birds that ultimately each slowly changed to become a hummingbird. So it would be impossible to know for certain which particular terrestrial dinosaur was its closest ancestor. But it's a very interesting word. And I'm glad you bring that up, Declan, because a lot of people forget a hummingbird is the smallest known dinosaur. Because birds are dinosaurs. We refer to them as avian dinosaurs, but birds are dinosaurs. And a hummingbird is the smallest dinosaur. Now, if you're talking about the dinosaurs that died at the end of the Cretaceous, those dinosaurs are called terrestrial dinosaurs. All right. Anderson wants to know, did any dinosaurs live in the desert? And if so, can you name a few? You know, I believe Mongolia during the late Cretaceous was desert-like. I think it was. I, I, I can't say with any certainty, but if it was, if it was more semi-arid or dry like a desert, then of course it would be Velociraptor, Protoceratops, uh, uh, who else? Um, Cetacosaurus, was he there? Yeah, he was there. Um, and Oviraptor. Maybe those would have been more suited for a desert-like environment. But there was definitely dinosaurs living in deserts somewhere in the world. All right, Connorsaurus says, Connorsaurus says, why does Acrocanthosaurus have three toes and big feet? Why not four toes? Well, here's how evolution process works, uh, Connorsaurus. An animal's body will slowly change as it adapts to a different environment. Acrocanthosaurus's ancestors walked on four toes, maybe walked on five toes. But over time, it didn't need five toes to do whatever it was doing. So over time, two of the toes kept getting smaller and smaller. If you ever look at the foot of an acrocanthosaurus, you'll see the fourth and fifth toe. 
They're just little. And they've moved. They've kind of moved around to the back of the leg. So when you see their foot, if you ever see a a foot of an acrocanthosaurus, like a skeleton, look at its foot. You'll see a little toe sticking backwards on what looks to be on the back of its leg, on the back of its heel. It's still there. They just don't use it. Let me give you an example of what I mean when I say if you don't use something, it goes away. Humans, us, our pinky toe is tiny. I saw a report that said the human pinky toe continues to get smaller and smaller over time. Maybe in five or six or seven hundred years, humans may only have four toes. They may not have a pinky toe because we don't use it. What did we use our pinky toe for in the past? Maybe our ancestors used their feet to climb better than we did. Maybe they used their hands and their feet. and You needed five toes to help grip the, pl- the tree limbs as you're kind of scurrying up the tree to get away from a saber-toothed cat. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen the foot of an early human and whether or not the pinky toe is bigger. I don't think... I don't think it was that big, but maybe if you go farther back, maybe it was. But whatever the case is, they just don't need four toes because three works perfectly fine. In fact, all of the um, theropods seem to evolve the same thing. So it must be that that foot makes you run faster. Three toes maybe helped you run faster. And finally, Emerson wants to know the eating habits of T-Rex. Was he an opportunist? How did he eat his prey? Tyrannosaurus Rex is a couple of things. Number one, he's a predator or she's a, I always say he, and I know, and sometimes some of you write to me and go, why do you always say he? That's just a habit. It's a habit I'm trying to break myself of. I just always say that it doesn't mean that girls don't like dinosaurs. Listen, I have as many girl paleontologist followers on Patreon as I do boys. And they know just as much, if not more. So, excuse me for always using the word he. That's not fair. I should either say it. I should say it is what I should say because it it, it applies to both male and female, boy and girl, he and she. So, what is eating habitus? Well, it is a predator, number one. That dinosaur is too big to just hope to find something dead. So, it is an absolute predator. Top, Top of the list, it's a predator, number one. Number two... It would scavenge if it found something that had died. I think it would scavenge. And number three, I think it took food away from smaller carnivores. So its eating habits are, if it's food, it eats it. The end. If it has to catch it, it does. If it has to steal it, it does. If it's laying there dead, it does. But it does not pass up a meal. So yes, it is an opportunist. And what opportunist means for you little ones have you ever heard of the word opportunity? That's, that means like a chance. An opportunity is a chance. Well, an opportunist is somebody that takes the chance. So if you happen to see a dead animal, you take the chance and you go eat it. So how did it eat its prey? Well, first, I think it probably tried to knock the prey down or at least give it one very big bite. If it could bite you once, first it could infect your wound with its bacteria all over its teeth, or you could also die from shock, or you could die from blood loss. That's number one. But let's say once the animal's dead, how did it eat? Well, I think it would probably use its foot to stand on the prey, 
while it leans its head down and grabs a mouthful, and it probably pulls backward with its neck while pushing with its foot so that it can rip off a piece, so that it can rip a chunk off. Once it ripped off a chunk, it probably didn't chew it. It probably kind of pointed its nose up in the air, kind of kind of threw it up and with a gulp swallowed it down the old down the old throat it would have been a terrifying thing to see all right uh i'm gonna do one more little bit of commercial and i try to do as few of these as i can and i had somebody complain that that there was commercials in these well listen this podcast is free i have to i have to make money i have to make a living this is what i do for a living so i try to limit them as best i can but it's something i have to do this private lesson is going to, or this one is going to be my about my private lessons. If you would like your own private lesson, here's how you get information about that. Hey, kids, you can have a private virtual lesson with Dinosaur George. Have him speak at your birthday party or have a lesson just for you. Lessons last 45 minutes and are available to all countries and time zones. Visit our store at DinosaurGeorge.com and order your own private lesson today. All right, let's jump over to the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group. Again, that's where we're going to be having the lesson this Wednesday, 5 p.m. Central Time. It's going to be on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group. It has to be Dinosaur George Kids, not Dinosaur George Dinosaur George Kids. Just a couple of things. Um, uh, I just wanted to mention, uh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited uh, to see uh, see you guys, uh, Elise, for, uh, uh, on the thing. And thank you for helping me kind of uh, test my equipment. I appreciate that very much. And thank you for the kind words. Uh, oh, this is so cool. Isabel, who is one of my absolute favorite friends and favorite club member um she did a really cool little setup in her room um this is so cool i just want to say thank you and by the way i am still eating that apple strudel your grandmother made and uh isabel i want to thank you for not eating it because i know you wanted to eat it so thank you All right, let's see. Ooh, major attack on a big Spinosaurus. This is great. The Breslin family posted a picture of a bunch of carnivores attacking a Spinosaurus. Great picture. I absolutely love it. Marley Brachiosaurus is at it again. Looks like Dinosaur George is stuck inside the stomach. Okay, now wait a minute. Marley Brachiosaurus, you put me inside the stomach of a dinosaur. I see you're drawing, you little stinker. You little stinker. Okay, that's actually a very good drawing. But you little stinker. What am I going to do with you? (laughs) All right. Heathoraptor, who is a member of the T-Rex club, and his big brother Pierce decided to draw you a picture as well. It's T-Rex is is a pizza vor, right? All right, this is amazing. They drew a picture of a T-Rex eating pizza. So, yes, as of today, as of today, T-Rex is legitimately a pizza vore. And, uh, wait, what is that? No stink. 
What do you mean no stink joint? Were you taking away my stink? Okay, that kid actually put me on the pizza and took away my stink bombs. You little, you little sick. I have never been accused of being a part of a pizza. Heathoraptor and Pierce, don't you think you're getting away with this? Both of you stinking kids. <laughs> oh, this is really good. This is cool. Uh, this is, oh my gosh. Leon Sukas sent a battle of Indominus Rex versus four tr- Velociraptors and one Baryonyx. Meanwhile, the Mosasaurus waits for a tasting. Oh, this is great. I love these Lego dinosaurs. And this is a great setup. Really very good. This is coming all the way from Ballarat, Australia. Thank you guys for being members all the way over there in uh, Australia. Okay, uh, Indominus Elijah Rex, this is cool, heard me say that on a podcast at the Museum of Ancient Life in Thanksgiving Point, Utah is one of my favorites. And so they went and you guys posted pictures and I love this. I love this. And that Allosaurus looks different. Let me tell you what they did looking at this picture you sent me. They didn't have that wall with the images of them drawn before. So this looks super crazy cool. I love this. And thank you for posting the pictures, you guys. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, And then Anderson, seven years old, who is a T-Rex Club member, wanted to show Dinosaur George his Lego creations of Owen driving a truck with Indominus Rex. This is cool. Owen, okay, those are cool jammies, by the way. Owen is driving with an Indominus Rex on the back of the truck. I don't know where he's taking that dinosaur, but you better make sure it's not to a McDonald's because Indominus Rex is going to eat everybody in the restaurant. Loved it, Anderson. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for being a member. All right. Evan from Alaska loves your podcast and is a Patreon Club member. Thank you, Evan. He had me take a picture of an assignment of dinosaurs eating the plant. Hey, thank you. Uh, hey, this is great. This is excellent. So you've got Stegosaurus eating on its back legs like we talked about. You also have uh, Stegosaurus looks like it hit a car. And then you have another meat eater eating the car. I don't know who was in the cars, but I hope they made it out safely. But that is crazy cool. Crazy cool. All right. Uh, Let's see. Hey, Dinosaur George. Uh, Nathaniel. Emily. Is it Emily? I think it's Emily. It's not Emil. I think it's Emily. And Padre, what a cool name, went to the Greensboro Science Museum in Greensboro, North Carolina and had a lot of fun, included seeing dinosaurs. And this is awesome. This is great. And no, I did not know some T-Rexes disco danced, but clearly you have one doing that. That is so cool. All right. Raiden, uh, Raiden Tops. Raiden. It's Raiden. Raiden Tops. That's a great name. Traveling to kindergarten along with your friend Allosaurus and listening to the Comsignathus podcast to keep him busy. Thanks a lot for your excellent and very interesting podcast. We love listening to them in the car on our way to kindergarten and back home. Well, thank you guys very, very much for the kind words. I'm so glad that Radenatops, I got to figure out how to say it, Radenatops, Radenatops, I think that's better. And that's such a cool dinosaur you have in your hand. And that's so cool that you listen on the way to school and home again. I'm so glad and I'm honored that you guys do that. All right. Leon Sukas just got his raptor claw and T-Rex tooth in the mail. 
Ah, because he became a T-Rex member, but it was all the way back in September, and it took that long, because he lives in Australia, to finally get the claw and tooth. That's his welcome gift. Leon Sukas, I am so sorry that you had to wait that long, but I appreciate your patience, and I am so glad that you are a member, and I love Australia, and I'm going to come visit, and maybe when I do... Maybe when I do, you can take me around and show me all over the cool place. All right. This is from the Chase family. Uh, T-Rex made by Little Stinker Jr. Yeah, you are a little stinker. Okay, you drew a T-Rex, which I love that T-Rex. I like those scary eyes. But you also it also took a bite out of the paper. I've never seen a paper-eating T-Rex before, but that's definitely it. <laughs> All right, Aranosaurus, Aranosaurus, the lover of dreamers, is uh, drew a picture of an Allosaurus eating meat. Eating me? Aranosaurus? Aranosaurus, you drew a picture? I'm actually in the mouth of an Allosaurus? And are those my feet laying on the ground? You little... You little stinker. You are a little stinker for drawing that. I loved it, by the way. <laughs> All right, Heathoraptor did a really colorful Kentrosaurus. I like this. I love that you made all of the spikes different colors and used bright colors. I'm very proud of you, Heathoraptor, because that's probably what they look like. You did an excellent job, and I'm very, very proud of you. And then here is George Allosaurus. His name is George, but he goes by George Allosaurus. Set up a scene of El Stinko versus everyone. Now that, who is El Stinko? Who is El Stinko? Oh, I know who El Stinko is. That's not what you call me, kid. I am not El Stinko. And why am I fighting every dinosaur in your collection? You little stinker. You should be George Stinker. Calling me El Stinko. <laughs> Loved it. Let's see. Audrey wanted to share her picture. It's her feeding a stegosaurus at the gates to Jurassic World. What a great theme. What a great picture, too. Audrey, that's so cool. I love that, that you are feeding a stegosaurus. That is the coolest thing in the world. That is the coolest thing in the world. All right, my friends. You all know what time it is. I know what time it is. Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops? You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right, remember, to submit a Who Would Win, you have to be a T-Rex member of the Patreon Club, and let's go. This first one is from Noah F., who says, Allosaurus versus Stegosaurus. This is a good one. This is a classic one. This one happened all the time. Now, of course, I love Allosaurus, and I would love to make Allosaurus the winner. And I would say, if Allosaurus and Stegosaurus had 10 fights, 
Stego would win nine of them. Allosaurus would win one. And the only reason why I say that, Noah, is because when you find lots of Stegosaurus material and you find more Allosaurus material, that means there was more Allosauruses than Stegosauruses. If Allosaurus was going to win, you would see practically no Stegosauruses. But Stegosauruses were doing okay. They were doing okay. They were pretty successful, which would suggest they're able to hold their own against Allosaurus. So I would say that Allosaurus has got to be awfully careful about being anywhere near, absolutely anywhere near Stegosaurus's tail. And because Stegosaurus could pivot on its front legs, it could move around pretty quickly. Even two Allosauruses would have to be careful because Stegosaurus's tail, one hit, one hit, and just one of those spikes would cause tremendous damage. If it was a direct hit with four spikes, that Allosaurus is out of the game and he's dead. I said he again. Darn it. It's dead. How about I start saying she? Yeah. Ladies, I need to make it up to you. I'm going to start calling some she now. Let's hear it for the girls. Woohoo! All right. Next, Liam, age seven, who would win? Lasmosaurus versus Dunkleosteus versus Nothosaurus. I like this one a lot, Liam. Of the three, Dunkleosteus is going to have the most vicious weapon. Nothosaurus is going to be able to give a pretty mean bite. Elasmosaurus is going to give a pretty mean bite. Dunkleosteus is going to give a life-ending bite. One chomp of those gigantic meat slicer jaws. And I believe in this case, Dunkleosteus is going to be the winner, hands down. Because the other benefit is it never has to come up for air. The other two do. And that's the moment that it could strike. This is a great one. I'd love to see that fight, though. All right. Philip Raptor asks, who would win? T-Rex versus Utah Raptor versus Scorpius Rex. Well, I finally did some study about Scorpius Rex. And it seems that if it's capable of doing all the things it was bred to do, that it was made to do, it's going to be tough beating this dinosaur. Because it's very rare to find a carnivore who also has a weapon like a tail. Most predators' weapons are going to be their teeth and hands, and that's basically their feet as well, but that's basically it. But in the case of this, I don't think Utah Raptor is going to stand much of a chance in this battle, and that's going to leave Scorpius versus Rex or Tyrannosaurus. And in that particular case, now, again, I always say this, Tyrannosaurus would have been, it would have had all the opportunity to fight throughout its entire life from baby on up. So Tyrannosaurus is going to be a fighter. She's going to be a fighter. Did you hear me say she, ladies? Woohoo! She's going to be a fighter. That's what she's, that's how she, that's, she's learned those things. You can't raise a dinosaur in a lab and expect it to know how to hunt, expect it to know how to do those things. Those things are passed down from previous generations. Tyrannosaurus is going to own all of that ability. Ascorpius has to be made in a laboratory. So if it's a if it's a wild Rex versus a, a Scorpius, I would say Rex is going to win. But if these are both animals that are both built in a lab, then I'm going to give it to Scorpius Rex. Owen from Texas wants to know who would win between Allosaurus and T. Giangosaurus. 
Ah, this is a good one. A two Giangosaurus. I'm sorry. Two Giangosaurus is a small relative of um, a Stegosaurus, and he's cool. Now, these two, I think Tojiangosaurus is from Asia, right? From China, I think. I don't think he's from Africa. I think he's from China. Here's the deal. Over in China, it would have had to deal with Allosaurus's cousin, Yangchuanosaurus. But Allosaurus is a little bit bigger. So I believe Allosaurus would have way too much of an advantage. I don't think Tujangosaurus would be able to defend itself, and I think Allosaurus would win. And I'm not just saying that because I love Allosaurus. I'm saying that because I truly believe that. All right, Dev wants to know Mosasaur versus Plesiosaur. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome, Dev. Thanks for the good manners. Who would win? Man, this one I don't think is close, Dev. You know who it is. It's Mosasaurus. That is an animal made for taking on big game. Plesiosaurus is really made for eating smaller fish. Therefore, everything about it is made for eating small fish. Mosasaurs are made for eating everybody. And part of that is Plesiosaurus, and I would give it to uh, Plesiosaurus. I mean, to Mosasaurus. Good one. Edith and Bear wants to know, and by the way, Mom says she apologizes for the spelling. Mom, you actually did a very good job of spelling. Pat yourself on the back. Edith, Bear, you need to walk up to your mom right now and say, Nice try, mother. And say it just like that. Uh, nice try, mom. <laughs> I'm teasing you. All right. So who would win? Diplodocus versus Brachiosaurus. Two monsters. Two titans. Who's going to win that fight? Man, Brachiosaurus has that whip-like tail. That could do some damage. But I don't think it would be able to cause a lot of injuries because of the thickness of the skin of what I suspect Brachiosaurus would have. And that means Brachiosaurus then has the advantage because Brachiosaurus is probably going to knock Diplodocus down. And once that happens, you better hope Diplodocus can get up because if it can't, Brachiosaurus might be able to rear up on its hind legs and come crashing down with its giant front legs. And if that happened, and it landed on a dinosaur, then Diplodocus's new name would become Pancakeosaurus. <laughs> All right, Noah Bertosaurus would like to know, because no, he's another Noah. Uh, Noah Bertosaurus would like to know, Concavenator versus Styracosaurus versus Postosuchus. This is a This is an interesting mix. Okay, Styracosaurus is going to be bigger than Concavenator and bigger than Postosuchus. Going to be more heavily built, I think. Concavenator, I don't think, is going to have the, the ability to take on something like Styracosaurus. I don't think that's going to last very long at all. Postosuchus does have the benefit of having some body armor on the exterior of its skin. But Styracosaurus... With that center nasal horn, if it gets its horn down and it rams Postosuchus, Postosuchus would then become a, um, oh, what is a good word for it? Shish kebab. <laughs> a Postosuchus shish kebab. All right, Declan wants to know who would win. Scorpius Rex versus Argentinosaurus. Oh. 
I like Scorpius Rex. I think it's cool, and I think it could hurt Argentinosaurus, but I do not think it has the ability. First, I don't think it could get up on its back to grab it, the back of its neck. It just can't do it. Argentinosaurus is simply too big. It would be like a lion attacking a full-grown elephant. It would look cool, but in the case of Argentinosaurus, I think it is simply too big. And finally, we end it with Anderson, Indoraptor versus Carnotaurus versus T-Rex versus Indominus. Well, Carnotaurus and Indoraptor, it's been nice knowing both of you. Here is your parting gifts. I suggest you go to the hospital and get bandages from all of the T-Rex and Indominus Rex bites. So, bye bye Good luck. It's been nice knowing you. See ya, see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. That leaves Rex versus Indominus, and that gets back to what I talked about before, and that is Rex is born knowing how to do all the things it needs to do. Indominus is not. Indominus is big, but I just don't think it would know how to use its weapons properly. What, let me explain what that means. Think about a boxer who practices every day because that's what he or she has to do. Now think about a boxer every day, every day, every day, getting better, 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 better. And then you think about somebody that's never been in a fight in their life. And they put those two in a ring and put boxing gloves and say, go at it. Well, the boxer does this every day. The boxer knows every move, every weakness, every strength. You don't. If you're in the ring, you're like, I don't know what to do. That's kind of what I think would happen with Indominus and Tyrannosaurus Rex. Because Indominus has never had to go out and fight for its life. It never, if they're going to raise it in a, in a lab, they're not going to throw it in with a Triceratops and say, okay, good luck. I hope you survive. No, they're going to feed it something that's probably already dead. So it won't fight back. So it doesn't know how to use all of its weapons. That's the reason why I say that I would uh, choose a Tyrannosaurus Rex over one of those that have been bred. All right, my little friends, that's it for this one. Remember, November 24th, 2021, 5 p.m. Central Time Zone on the Dinosaur George Kids group on Facebook. Free lesson about the basics of dinosaurs. Everyone is welcome to join. You do not have to be a Patreon club member and it doesn't cost anything to follow us on the Dinosaur George Kids group page. And plus, if you sign up to follow that page, you can post your pictures, your artwork, your questions. You can ask questions through there as well. All right, everybody, remember, be polite to everyone. If somebody disagrees with you, you don't have to dislike them for it. You can still be friends with somebody that doesn't agree with you. That's what most people know. You can disagree with someone and still be friends and still like them. Maybe you don't agree with what they say, but you don't have to dislike them. Be kind to everybody. Tell your family you love them. I know that's hard to do when you get a little older, but... I can promise you, if you're a teenager and you walk up to your mom or dad and say, I just want to let you guys know I love you, 
they will never forget that. If you if you've never said it before, they'll never forget it and it'll make them feel great. All right, everybody, that's it for now. Take care. I'll see some of you in two days. For the rest of you, I will continue to post as many new podcasts as I can. Take care, everybody. See ya, see ya. to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge.